my main job is to coach the coaches. So I make sure they get coaching. So I take uh, coaches to Israel. Um, and then we also bring players and coaches here. And uh, we just had two coaches spend six months with us, uh, stayed at our house. They coached at a local high school, so kind of a, a coaching internship. We had 19 Israeli high schoolers come over for a two-week camp um, here uh, in Knoxville, actually. Um, and then we go to Israel, and we do player development camps. So um, I've got a video. It's like two minutes because I w- I'm going to bore you with a bunch of football stuff. Um, but sometimes people just need to see, like, really? There's people in Israel playing, like, really? And in this video, you're going to see a bunch of guys walking around in gold jackets. Now, does anybody know what a gold jacket symbolizes in football? What is that? Hall of Fame. Um, the, the week we were there, we had a bunch of Hall of Famers come over. We've had uh, Joe Montana. Roger Staubach, um, Chris Carter, Jim Brown, Eric Dickerson. I mean, I can go on and on. You're going to see some of these guys uh, in the video. You'll see some people with gold jackets going around. So if I go to the next slide, somebody back there has got to push play, and, uh, and it's got sound. So here it comes. Or it says media not found. Oh, well, that might not have come over in the, if we, if we get it later, we can get it later. Trust me, it was a really exciting video. It was really cool. Uh, what you would have seen, is, oh, well, that's Ahmed. So I'm going to get to him in a moment, and then that's my last football slide. Um, what you would have seen is uh, in Israel, there's about um, eight adult teams, 12 high school teams, and six peewee teams. And so you would have seen clinic footage of us, you know, putting them through drills and stuff. And then there was an exhibition game, and you would have seen all the Hall of Famers walking around, and, and it was pretty cool. So there you go. Can you kind of visualize that? Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that great? Okay. Um, and then this <clears throat> is Ahmed, and that's me rubbing his head. Um, and, and this is really why I do this. Um, as the coaching coordinator, I'm, I'm in a pretty... Um, I don't know if powerful is the word I want to use, influential position, because I literally get to determine who goes over and works with these teams. And so I make sure I take people who have a, a gospel motivation um, and, and people who are willing to learn how to present the gospel from a Judaic perspective. Uh, you, you can't go over there leading you know, with a Christian T-shirt and your four spiritual laws track. That doesn't, doesn't play real well uh, in Jerusalem. So... You know, teaching people about the, the Torah and the Mishnah and the, the Tanakh and, and how to speak um, about Jesus in a way that is receptive and understandable to them. So anyway, on the national team, though, on the Israeli national team, um, we have all kinds of, of different faiths on, on this team. And it's something that you wouldn't normally think of in Israel. You wouldn't think of Arab Muslims like Ahmed and rabbinical Orthodox Jews and Arab Christians mingling together. But they do um, on all the teams. On, this is the Israel national team. This is a national team practice. Um, and Ahmed, a Arab Muslim, is on the, and playing for the Israel national team. And so we were over there working with them before they went to Spain to play. And Ahmed was just kind of really quiet all week and really didn't smile. I mean, just really intense dude. And at the very end, I'm going around and I'm saying goodbye to everybody. And I just came up to Ahmed and I was just kind of rubbing his head. And I was like, man, you did so well. You, I mean, and I'm just praising him. And you can see him just beaming. Um, 
And so every time we go over, we just try to plant these seeds. You know, I, I want Ahmed to remember, you know, man, there, there was this Christian guy who came over and made me feel good about who I was and made me feel accepted. Um, and then, you know, hopefully some of the other Christians that are on the team can take it from there. So it was just, um, it was really neat. So, so that brings me to my third passion, and then we'll finally get going. Uh, pastor told me as long as we got out by 1.30, we were good. So am I, am I doing good on time right now? I mean, oh, 11.10. This is so over. They're like, what? Um, I've got a real passion for uh, understanding the New Testament um, within the historical background of first century Judaism. Uh, that's that's kind of my, my thrust when I study Scripture. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to listen um, or try to understand a phone conversation that's going on when you can only hear one side, right? And you're, and you're trying to, so they, maybe they said this, maybe they said, maybe they meant this, and, you know, and you're trying to understand the conversation. Uh, to me, um, trying to understand the teachings of Jesus or even the rest of the New Testament without an appreciation of, of uh, rabbinical teaching methods and rabbinical idioms and just this whole first century messianic expectation that was going on. Without understanding that, um, we miss a lot of what's going on because everything we read in the New Testament is taking place within an ongoing conversation with, with years of history behind it. Um, and a lot of times we don't stop to listen to that conversation. But the neat thing about living in today is that we're blessed. We are a blessed generation because we, we are living uh, during the time of the restoration of Israel. I mean, that's, that's a unique thing. Um, just in the last 10 years, every time I go to Israel, we're, we're stumbling upon um, new archaeological finds. Uh, somebody mentioned the David and Bathsheba thing that's going on. Um, my two trips ago, I was over there. I w- this is off my notes, but we got to 1.30, so it's okay. Um, so I was over there, and they were doing a dig of David's palace. Um, most of the archaeology that takes place over there is, is uh, people who are secular, but they're starting to look where the Bible says to look, and they're finding stuff. Like, who knew, right? And so um, just outside the old city, uh, they've excavated what they are certain is the palace of David. And they're uncovering all of this. And so it sits up on, high up on a mountain overlooking a valley. And I got to go on this dig, and, and you kind of walk through a tunnel because, you know, it's a, it's a dig. It's underground, right? Everything's buried. But we walk out of a tunnel, and we, we come out to this opening, and this opening would have been uh, David's uh, balcony, like a bedroom balcony, okay? And you come out, and you look down, and all you see, rooftop, 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 just flat rooftops. You can't even count them. And, and, and I just stood out there and I was like, wow, that Bathsheba thing, what an accident. Because it's like, it's not like you're just like, oh, like you can't help but see all the rooftops. Amazing, they're still flat. They, a lot of them still have water heaters on, on the top of them. I mean, it's just, you know, crazy. So anyway, just that was free. That was, that was bonus. Um, so yeah, um, so when I go through and I teach... And, and I study from this perspective, it's not like I'm not trying to correct errors. Like I'm not trying to say, well, you know, you've been reading the Bible wrong. It's, it's, it's to capture the beauty uh, of, of what's there. Um, so just two examples. Uh, Jesus, of course, was a rabbi, right? And so he used a lot of rabbinical language. Um, what things were rabbinical language? Things like uh, abolishing the law. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. Those, those are very specific rabbinical terms. Um, the keys of the kingdom, 
and binding and loosing. What's that? All? That's, like, that's a specific rabbinical idiom. Um, kind of like if I say I let the cat out of the bag, right? Am I talking about cats? I'm, oh, am I talking about bags? No. So the keys to the kingdom and binding and loosing and abolishing, these are all idioms that have really, really deep meaning. Um, here's one out of Matthew. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, right? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, a yoke, again, is a very specific rabbinical term. Every rabbi had a yoke. And a rabbi's yoke was their interpretation of the Torah, or more specifically, what one needed to do to obey it. And so Jesus is talking to people and says, hey, if you're wearied and burdened because these, the Pharisees are putting so much, so many religious demands on you, come to me because I'll make it real simple for you. Okay? So, see, just knowing that that's what a yoke was, that rabbis, they all had yokes, and you were expected to take upon your rabbi's yoke. You took it upon you to follow his teachings. To me, opens that passage up and says, oh, so that's what he's talking about. Um, he also used uh, rabbinical teaching methods. Uh, one of the methods that Jesus uses is often is called hinting. And in hinting... Um, was when uh, you would give part of a scripture. Uh, Jesus does this on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It has nothing to do with God forsaking Jesus. He's hinting at Psalm 22. And so this hinting is, is when you would say part of something with the intention that the emphasis would be on what you left unsaid. For example, if at first you don't succeed... Try again. See, you know. So if I can say to you, hey, first you don't succeed, I don't even have to say try again. I can stop right there because I know you're going to fill in that blank. Right? Now, without knowing that, without knowing what I'm hinting at, you might say, well, if at first you don't succeed, you better stop because you're not supposed to do that. Or if at first you don't succeed, find something else to do. Or if it, but that's not what I mean at all. So you get the hint. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, in the passage we're going to look at this morning... You're going to see Jesus hinting, and we're, we're going to pull it out. So Matthew 11 is where I'm going. You do not have to uh, follow along in your Bibles if you don't want to, or if you don't have one, that's fine. I'm going to have everything up on the screen. So can we go? Okay. Um, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison what Christ was doing. Let me give you a little backstory on what's going on here. Um, Herod Antipas was the governor of Galilee, where all this is taking place. And he had married his brother Philip's ex-wife. And he's still alive. Philip's still alive. Okay. And so John the Baptist, as he was doing his little preaching tour, uh, telling people about Jesus, he said, uh, incidentally, and this, he's doing this in Galilee, he's saying, it's really, really, really bad that Herod Antipas has taken his brother Philip's ex-wife. He is a lawbreaker. And Herod didn't like that. And his wife really didn't like that. So, Herod has John put in jail. So, 
here we have John in prison, and he's hearing about what Jesus is doing. And so he says this, um, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, let me ask you a question. What does the word uh, Christ really mean? Like when we say Jesus Christ. Anointed one, yes. In Judaism, the, the um, interpretation would be, somebody said it, Messiah. That's, Christ is, is the word for Messiah. So John's making an inquiry about the Messiah. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he said, hey, well, are you really him? Are you the one that was to come? Or did I get this wrong? Am I off? Now, there were a lot of messianic expectations during this time. Uh, the Hebrew calendar at this time was on the edge of a millennium. Okay, you kind of remember how our Y2K, we kind of freaked out, right? All that stuff. Okay, which really turned out to be nothing. It was, but um, that's, it's like that here. They're approaching a millennium. And there were all kinds of messianic expectations about the Messiah coming and the millennium that the Messiah would usher in and the kingdom of God that would be coming in. This is all a current discussion. There had been a Messiah, by the way, right before Jesus, a guy who said he was the Messiah, and the Romans killed him. And now here comes Jesus on the heels of this. And so John thinks Jesus is obviously the Messiah, but now he's got questions. And he says, so are you the one to come? So part of these messianic expectations is some prophecies out of Isaiah. There were seven things in particular that the Jewish people were looking for out of their Messiah. Seven things. The Messiah was supposed to raise the dead. When the Messiah comes, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the prisoners will be set free. He's going to cleanse lepers and evangelize the poor. The poor. Now, John was Jewish. John was an itinerant minister, we would say, right? John's whole life was about announcing the coming of Jesus. Would you agree? Let me ask you a question. Do you think John knew these seven signs? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, how does Jesus answer John's question? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now hold on. Anybody notice anything? Let's go back and take a look. Seven signs of the Messiah. There they are. We're going to raise the dead, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear. We're going to set prisoners free, cleanse the lepers, and evangelize the poor. Anybody notice anything? Hmm? Did he? What? He left one out. So in his reply to John, he left one out. Which one did he leave out? Where's John? In prison. 
See, John's life wasn't following the script he thought it should follow. I mean, even the Bible says there was no one ever born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. He gave his whole life to preparing the way for the Messiah. He was a great and loyal prophet of God. He baptized Jesus. And now he's in prison. And so basically what John says when he says, hey, are you the one to come? Or did I get this wrong? Basically what John is saying is, hey, if you're the Messiah, you can get me out of here. Because that's one of the signs. You're supposed to set prisoners free, and here I am. That's tough, guys, when you can point in your Bible and say, well, God, it says right here, this is what you're supposed to do. It says right here, you're supposed to heal me or my daddy. Or when he says, I got it right here in my Bible. It says right here, Lord, that I'm supposed to have a life of provision, prosperity, health. Got it right. I can read you the scripture. And John's saying, God, I can read it right here. The Messiah is supposed to set prisoners free. So why is my butt in prison? And maybe what's even tougher is Jesus' response. Because basically Jesus says, Yeah, buddy, I'm the Messiah. But you're not getting out. That's tough. Why God did not permit Jesus to do this? Or why the Father didn't do this? John dies in this prison. You know how the story ends. And even Jesus is perplexed by this. If you read the account in Matthew, after Jesus finds out, he has to go up on a mountainside by him. He sends the disciples away. The scriptures say he's troubled. So what's, what's the point? What am I, where am I trying to go this morning? Because we just sang about how good God is, right? And how goodness and mercy will follow us. And we believe those things, yes? And how he'll never leave or forsake us. Well, Satan is always going to try to get us to disobey. Would you agree with that? He's going to try to do that. And most of us understand that. And, and we're pretty tuned in. And we're on the lookout. Like, we, we get that. But just because we obey, that doesn't mean the battle stops. Because Satan's next move is to get us to regret our obedience. And I'm going to tell you how he generally does that. He generally does that through events in life that don't pan out the way we think they should or on the timeline that we think they should. And John's having a little bit of regret. I don't know that his faith was really shaken. I think he's just puzzled why he's being left to die in a place that his scriptures say he should be set free from. 
And I know that that's where some of us are because it's, this is life. And God is good and God is faithful and God is just and he is merciful and he will never leave us or forsake us and he will never let us down. I fully believe that. Life, though, does let us down. This is a broken world. And that, I think, helps us understand this last statement that Jesus gives us. It's odd without knowing the background, without knowing what Jesus was hinting at. This is kind of a weird statement. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. How how would somebody fall away on account of Jesus? He doesn't say, blessed is the person who doesn't believe, or, you know, that's. He says, no, you, you believe. You're here. You know who I am, John. Now, don't fall away. I think we can fall away. I think we're in danger of falling away when we get offended that God isn't doing what we think he ought to do. When Jesus doesn't come through the way we think he should come through, we can fall away. So, you know, maybe we're not uh, having the experience in school that we think we should. Maybe we look around and see other kids got it better, you know. And they don't even go to church, you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's the job, maybe it's the career, maybe it's just stuff at home, just strife, health. Maybe you can you can honestly say, "Well, I've I've been in a prison for a while." Not a lot of people know about it, though. I pray all the time for God to take it out, take me away, get me out of there. I'm still there. It's interesting that Jesus says when that happens, if you don't fall away, you'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father, it is hard when, when we can open up your word and read your promises. There are so many promises. And we read it and we, and we cherish it in our heart and we believe it. And we compare it to our life like the everyday now life. And it just seems so off. And Father, sometimes my response is to, I don't know, shame myself. Like, well, I I just don't have enough faith. I'm not doing enough. But John the Baptist was, I mean, good night. Nobody born of a woman greater than him. And Jesus had to remind him not to fall away. I... 
Father, I want to ask for those of us that, that are, that are kind of here. We're, we've got a, a prison of some kind, something we just can't break out of, I guess. Um, Father, I want to ask that you wouldn't uh, allow us to heap shame upon ourselves. Um, remind us, Father, that while you're perfect and you're good and you're never going to let us down, that you will always be with us. It's a broken world. And a lot of times things don't, don't work out exactly the way we think they, they should. So, Father, that's our prayer, and we thank you, Lord, that you know us, and you love us, and you understand us, and you absorb our doubts, and still you're with us. And it's by the grace, Father, and the favor that you've given us through your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Word. I mean, enjoy the word. Yeah, let's give give Dan another hand. Uh, did we ever get that video? Will it? Is there? Can we take a shot at it again? Will it? You think it'll play? No. Okay. All right. Um, how many? How many? How many would like to go? I'm just going to ask you a question. But how many would like to go to Israel? To, how many would like to go to Israel? Okay, how many would like to go to Israel? Yeah. Okay. How many, how many would like to go to Israel to be part of an, is, of an Israeli football team? How many think that would just be so cool? How many think that would be so cool? To hang out with Hall of Famers. You know, those are those are classy guys. You know, Roger Stallback and Joe Montana and Jim Brown. Yeah. But uh, anyway, well, I'm sorry. Most of you guys are not going to get to go to Israel to help with an Israeli football team. You may get to go to Israel someday. But we all can't be there. We all can't do that. But we can be a part of it. So what we're going to do is I want to get these guys to get us some offering bags. And we're going to receive an offering for Dan. See, Dan, Dan was talking about just recently they house uh, uh, Israelis that are part of that football team. And they just had a couple guys that stayed in their home for how long? Six months. Six months. And they, they, they take care of all the expenses. And if you guys seen, they have four children of their own. And uh, these guys helped them coach. It was it which one of the high schools in Knoxville? Bearden, you guys familiar with Bearden High School in that city? And uh, they came over and helped coach there. And these guys are they're in church with them and 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 uh, teaching them about Christ. And and you know I, I think it'd be amazing that you're just talking about uh, this guy. Would you say his name was Ackman? Yeah, Ackman uh, would accept Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, and, you know, it's things like that, you know, oftentimes us here in eastern Kentucky, obviously, we don't always get the opportunity and have the privilege of going firsthand, but we can still be a part of it, right? And we can sow a seed there. So uh, we're going to receive an offering for uh, Dan, and this is what this goes towards, uh, this ministry that they are working with.
this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for all blessings. We thank you for Dan and his family being with us today. Thank you for the word that he shared with us. Father, we thank you for the ministry that they are doing in Israel. We know that your word tells us to that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we are to support that is your people, your nation. And we're so thankful that we are able to be adopted into that family and to be engrafted into the vine. So, Father, we, we, we just bless the ministry. And I speak, somebody come into agreement, I speak that many, many lives will be changed and transformed through this ministry, Father, that through this, the sport of football, that lives could be changed and people could be set free by your power. And we just thank you, Father, and we praise you. We bless this offering in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen. If you would like to know more about Our Father's House and upcoming events, log on to ourfathershouseky.org.